There is more to our life than what we're currently experiencing. There's a lot more. You know, a, a couple of months ago, I was just going through this time to where I just felt like, I just felt like I was fatigued. Have you ever felt like that? Anybody ever felt fatigued in life? You know, you just get caught up in life and you just get busy doing things. And before you know it, you're somewhere you didn't plan to go. You know what I mean? You just get distracted. You get busy. Life happens. I had a baby. (laughs) It's a pretty big thing that happens. It changes your life. But in the process of that, just to be real, you know, in in Mark 4, we teach that, that parable a lot of the sower and the seed. It talks about how the cares of this world choke the word. And I I think that we could, yes, we can spiritualize that, but also I think there can be a physical element to that, that when you get distracted or you just run through life to where you you just get lost, you just get lost and you're doing good things, doesn't mean you're doesn't mean you're necessarily living like a sinful life or, or doing things you shouldn't do. They're good things. But you just kind of lose that, that heart connection where things are alive and things are stirred up in you and things are like, are fresh and new. And I was just, I just felt this fatigue one night and I felt like it was literally, it was just choking me. And I started to speak and I started to pray, and I started to, to speak things and say things even though I didn't feel them. You got to do that. If you're waiting for an emotion to rise up before you step out in faith or declare the things that you want in your life, you're going to be waiting around a long time. Just like worship. Yeah, we want We want people to experience and have an emotion. But sometimes you got to stir yourself up. You can't wait on an emotion to praise God, to declare the things that you want in your life. I mean, when you say that I am the righteousness of God, guess what? When you mess up, you don't feel like the righteousness of God. Okay? You feel like every other thing than that. But it's in those moments when you don't feel it that is the most important time. And just like worship, the most important time to worship and to praise God is when you don't feel like doing it. Because it stirs something within you. And before you know it, those words that I was speaking, those things that felt like it was choking me, wasn't very long. Something on the inside was just ignited Something, something came alive on me. It was like God was breathing on the embers of my heart. My heart just came alive in a moment. And I've been stirred up since then. And, and I felt that release. I felt that release that I could, and the words began just to just, it, it wasn't me speaking anymore. 
You know what I mean? I hope you've experienced that because it's awesome. It really is. When you know what's coming out of your mouth is not you, it's the grace, it's the power of God, it's the one living on the inside of you who's a roaring lion. You know, I don't always feel bold getting up here, but I know that Proverbs 28.1 says, the righteous are bold as a lion. And it says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. See, you got to have faith in that. You are the righteousness of God. That means you're bold, you're confident. You know, when we say, oh, that's just, that's just not my personality. <laughs> God is a lot bigger than our personalities. If we're looking at just our personalities, we're limiting God big time. God is able to do things that we could never see ourselves doing. I'm not saying everybody has to be up in the pulpit preaching, but we shouldn't live in fear. No matter what you're doing, we shouldn't live in fear. So there's the thing about limiting God, though, or setting these markers in our life is we have to understand that there is a balance of grace and faith. Grace is what God has provided. Grace is everything that, that Jesus has provided, the finished work of the cross. Jesus has provided it. You know, the word sozo, you've been healed, delivered, rescued. Everything that God has done has been given by grace. But that is not just, it just doesn't happen in your life without something else. It's faith. Faith grabs a hold of what God has offered us and makes it available. It, it, may, it, it makes it real. It makes it come alive. And so we can't just sit around and wait for God to do something. Now there's people on the faith side who are, think they gotta do it all. And then there's people on the grace side who are sitting on their butts waiting for God to do everything. But there's a balance. You understand there's a balance. What you do is, it's faith is just trust. You take action. See, a lot of times people are waiting for grace to work before they move. If God tells me to go over there and I just sit here on my butt waiting for grace to happen, guess what? Grace ain't gonna happen. But if I, faith is me walking towards that thing and then grace comes alive. And so we have to understand that we can hear all the good, the good news in the world everything that God is wanting to bring to us and everything that God is wanting to do for us. But until we take a step and we take an action, and there are many different things that keep us from taking that step. One of them is fear, right? Fear, doubt, unbelief, worrying about what people think, all these different things. Worrying, you know, fear of failure. Um... 
I want to go to Psalm 78, 41. I got lots of time to preach, so that's awesome. <laughs> I used to be worried that I wouldn't have enough to preach. Now I get worried I don't have enough time. So Psalm 78, one, or 78, 41, if you'll go there with me. And this is kind of where we're, we'll begin. So it says, yes, again, and again, they tempted God and limit the Holy One of Israel. So this is talking about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Everybody know the story, okay? The children of Israel, they got delivered. They came out of Egypt. They were in slavery. They were in bondage. They crossed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea was split before them, and they wandered in the wilderness. And this verse is saying, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. If you know the story, they wandered for 40 years. You know that was never God's plan? It was never God's plan for them to wander 40 years. Never. And so I want to take this story very familiar story about, about the children of Israel in the wilderness and use it to show you where they limited God and how they limited, limited God. So the first thing that was very common for the children of Israel to do was what? Complain and murmur, right? The big thing, right there, we could just stop right there. Complain and murmur. You know, that'll preach. Complain and murmur. So I looked up what this word murmur means. It means to show oneself obstinate. I didn't know what that means, so I looked it up. <laughs> obstinate. Stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. Complaining is not just bad for just the reason of it's having a bad attitude, like we tell, you know, we tell, stop complaining, you know? Just stop complaining. It's not so much about just being a behavioral attitude. The problem with complaining, and I'm preaching to myself, okay? The problem with complaining is, complaining is it gets your focus on something else. It gets, your, it gets your focus on the problem. You know, I, was, I saw a quote um, recently said, the problem is the way that you see the problem. Okay? The problem, is not, the problem is not just the problem, it's the way that you see the problem. And so when you complain, you are actually glorifying that thing. You're esteeming that thing. When you're sitting in traffic in Atlanta, which there are so many opportunities to <laughs> complain, okay? For my teenagers, when they give you three or four hours of homework that you don't want, 
plenty of, plenty of opportunity to complain. There are, we could go on and on. There are plenty of things that we could all agree on are things that we can complain about, right? So we learn from the children of Israel, one of the big things that they continued to do was to complain and to murmur. And I believe that had an effect on their hearts. I believed it caused them, was one of the factors that caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This word glorify, so to me, glorifying would be the opposite of complaining, right? That we complain, not complaining, glorifying. Glorify means to esteem or magnify. So esteem is to set a high value on, regard highly, and prize accordingly. Think about it. What did the children of Israel see? Think about their story. I'll remind you. Ten plagues, you know, on, on Egypt. They saw the hand of God work in a way that nobody had seen. You know, delivered them and split the Red Sea for them and destroyed the nation's most powerful army before them. You know, it says, I think the number they believe that there was a million Jews that came out of Egypt. Then they came out, and God, when they complained about water, God brought it from the ground. When they complained about bread, God rained it down from heaven. And God did that for, not just for a little while, but God did it for 40 years. And it said that God led them by a cloud during the day, and a pillar of fire by night. Now, this was every day of their life. Could you imagine every day you're waking up, and you're like, okay, what are we going to do today? Oh, cloud's moving. Let's go. The hand of God was in their life the whole time. And yeah, things were, they're wandering in the wilderness, and things didn't always look the way they wanted, but they got their attention. They got their focus off of what was important. What they did was they glorified. What glorify means is to magnify. They magnified what God wasn't doing instead of what he was doing. They placed value on what he wasn't doing instead of what he was doing. See, what we regard as valuable is very important in our lives. You know, you can quickly, I won't ask, you can quickly find out, you know, this is just one method. You can quickly find out what you value. There's no condemnation in here. But you can quickly find out what you value by what you spend your time on and your money. Just saying. Don't throw a rock at me. <laughs> but it's true. This time and money is very important to us, isn't it? We can find what we value really quickly by just looking at those things. And so the children of Israel were not valuing. They weren't holding high regard to what God had done. And so that is a key to if we want to live in a place where there's more. And no matter where you are, there's more. 
There is more for each one of our lives, every single one of us. We have not even come close to exhausting what God can do. I'm not saying that you have to go to a foreign country. I'm not saying that you have to do something really miraculous and crazy. If we could just start with our families and love our families with no limits. If we could have marriages with no limits. If we could love our kids with no limits. If we could actually take the person who's in front of us and actually give them attention and actually show genuine interest instead of being self-absorbed in all our stuff that's going on in our lives. If we can just take the limits off of these things. So it's not just we, you know, when taking the limits off of God, you think, you know, you got to do some really big thing for God. The biggest thing that we can do for God, first of all, is just love the person in front of us. I say, take the limits off of God. That's what I want to take the limits off. I want to take the limits off of the things that are keeping me from loving people the way that Jesus did. Man, because that is the most purposeful, impacting life, is a life that is rooted and grounded in serving and loving one another. Jesus showed us that showed us that example. That's what he showed us. And I believe that's what he was talking about. He's taking the limits off. Wasn't just taking the limits off, so look at me. He's taking the limits off to show God, to show the world who God is. He's a provider. He's more than enough. There's nothing he can't do. All things are possible with him. God can do it, and he can do it in me. Believe for more. We got to get, get out of the rut of, of, the, of the same feelings and emotions. You know, when things don't work out and we try to step out in something, we get disappointed. And it says in Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I see it with people. And, and you see it with people. So like when something happens, they just, this is just the way it is. You know, this is just how it goes. And I want to shake them. (laughs) Say, no, this isn't the way it is. There's more. Believe. Don't believe just what what your current circumstance is. Believe for more. I don't care if you haven't experienced it. Get your focus. Get your thoughts on God. He's able to do more, exceedingly more than what we could be on, what we could think or imagine. That's who he is. He wants to. That's his desire. So I want to take you to the story about the spies in Numbers 13. And this is a real popular story. Okay, Numbers 13. I'm going to start in verse 27. Okay, it says, Then they told him, And said, we went to the land where you sent us. So this is talking about the spies. Twelve spies, as you know, went out to spy out the land of Canaan. It was the promised land. And this was God's whole intention for bringing them out of Egypt was to bring them into the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey, houses they didn't build, you know, food that they didn't plant. Everything was provided. This is a picture of grace, right? They went to a land, 
everything was provided, but how did they possess it? How did they get it? They had to go there, right? They had to go there. It wasn't just going to automatically fall into their lap. They had to go and possess it. So, so they send out 12 spies as they get close to the promised land. And this story takes place, if you look at it, it's a little at a year, a little after a year after they come out of the Red Sea. So verse 27, it says, Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Talking about they carried grapes on a pole between two men that were so large. This is, it's crazy to think, I love grapes, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Um, Anywho, verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, um, talking about uh, the Nephilim, the giants. Um, The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people. Real important thing. Caleb quieted the people. Caleb and Joshua were the ones who gave a good report. Listen, if you have a good report, there are going to be some people that you need to quiet in your life. You know, With this injury, I didn't put this all over Facebook. Why? Because I didn't want to have to quiet the people. There's a time where you don't cast your pearls before swine, meaning you have dreams, you have aspirations, you have things you're believing for. Don't cast them just before anybody. Because guess what? There's a lot of people who would try to destroy your dream. That may not be their intention, but by their words, what they're speaking is doubt and unbelief. You need to quiet some people. Say, I need to quiet some people. Say, zip. (laughs) Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. And take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. I imagine these guys, like the way I picture it, like today's terminology. Like, I know they were giants, but in today's world, I would picture it a land full of UFC fighters. (laughs) Like the ultimate warriors, you know? And here you are, just this regular guy, like, I'm going to go get them? No. They have a lot more. They're stronger than me. They'll kill me. Verse 32. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Is that what it says there? Yeah. In other translations... It says, an evil report. 
Of, they gave a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone has spies, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were so we were in their sight. So there's another area, limiting God, how you see yourself. You see yourself as a grasshopper, you're going to get grasshopper results. <laughs> you're not a grasshopper. Like I said earlier, the righteous are bold as a lion. You're not a grasshopper, you're a lion. We gotta act like lions. You know the thing about the bad report, and like I said, the other translation says an evil report. Everything they said was true. You hear that? Everything, the spies who had a bad report, everything they said was true. But just because it's true, doesn't make it where it's, it's a good report. Doesn't make it what God is saying. Just because it's true, something can be true and be an evil report. Something can be true and be a bad report. You know, I could picture these, these guys, these spies also when they do this. Is, what do we do the first time we have a problem? We Google it. What do you... What do you what are you doing? That's not what Google's for. <laughs> they're looking, they're, you know, they're giving the report and they say, well, we Googled it. And uh, we have a 52.3% chance that, um, we, you know, we may, we may fail. You know, you don't have to Google other people's experiences when you start facing life. Amen. Stop it. I mean, sometimes it may be, it may be an okay thing, but if you're believing for the miraculous, if you're believing for God to work in your life, it work a, for a way in your life that is beyond the norm, don't go look at other people's experiences. Amen. Don't see whatever. You know, there are people with my same injury. I heard from other people. I'm not going to Google that junk. Amen. People who've their whole entire life Never walk again. Same exact injury I have. Done. Never pain. I, you know, I was, I went to vote. And there was a guy, you know, we were in line waiting to vote, and there was a guy, and he saw me on my, I have to stop. You get so much attention being on crutches. Sometimes it makes me want to wear a boot all the time. People open doors for you. People talk to you. You know, before it's like, you know, people are just going about their lives when you're wearing a boot and you're on crutches. Like, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? I'm like, thank you for talking to me. It's awesome. But I was going to vote, and this guy was in line, and he's just like, oh, yeah, that happened to my son. He fell off the ladder. Same exact injury. It's been four years. 
and he's still taking medicine. He's still in pain. I'm just like, well, that ain't my story. God, God's done a miracle on my foot. He holds all things together. That's what his word says. I'm standing and believing. Guess what? There's plenty of people that have a report, but it's not God's report. We don't put our confidence in men. We put our confidence in God. Janine like this. It's called Godfidence. Godfidence. Not a confidence of your own, not in other people. It's confidence in God, who he is. Godfidence. I love it. So the children of Israel limited God. First, Complaining and murmuring. Stop your complaining and murmuring. It does something to your heart. It really does. It affects your heart. I'm not trying to downplay stuff that happens in our life. You know, the things that we go through, the hurts, the pains that we go through. But don't let it consume you to the point to where you're complaining about it. You know, my parents got a divorce when I was 15. One of the things I really admired about my dad, you know, was I never heard my dad speak an ill word of my mother. And that stood out to me. He never let the pain of the divorce consume him to where it took from him. And that's what it does. When, you, when you're complaining about things and murmuring it, it's affecting you. It's not affecting anybody else. It's eating at you. And so to have a heart that is soft and moldable for when the word comes, the ground is able to produce. It's able to produce a harvest. Get the soil, our heart is that soil that we plant the word in. And complaining is just evidence to ourself in certain areas. All it is, these things are not to condemn us. These things are meant to convict and get us as a, as a gauge or a thermometer to find out where our hearts are. Listen, you are, we are the children of God. God loves us with an everlasting God. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are his chosen one. We are, he loves us so much. And God is holding no record of wrong. That's what love says. Love keeps no record of wrong. God is for us in every single way. So these are just thermometers. These are ways to gauge where your heart is, not to condemn or to beat up anyone. I'm preaching to myself. And the next thing that limits God is how we see ourselves. We have to be rooted and grounded in our identity in Christ. It's got to be real to us. Until you see yourself, who you are in Christ, you'll never go where you want to go. Until it becomes real on the inside and you can see yourself doing it, it will never be a reality. It just won't. 
when we meditate and we see that truth, we always say it here, it doesn't make it happen, it makes it believable. It makes it to where, where I'm sitting here on grace. If I see myself doing that thing or walking in that way or having this quality of life, when I see it, it, it gives me the courage, it gives me the strength to take that step towards that thing. I want to go to Hebrews 4.2, and this will be kind of the last point as far as limiting God in our lives. Hebrews 4.2, it says, For indeed, the gospel, this is talking about the children of Israel. If you read Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4, it's talking about the children of Israel not entering into the rest. So it says, For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith and those who heard it. So they heard. They heard the gospel in the sense of the gospel being good news. They heard of a land of promise where everything would be offered to them. There is a land for each one of us but it's not a distant physical location. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within. That promised land lives on the inside of us. Everything that we need, everything that is ours from God is on the inside of us. We don't have to go out and get it. It's on the inside waiting for us to possess it, to go and take hold of it. And there will be giants. There will be things that come against us. Most of all, old ways of thinking. We're our worst enemy. Those are some pretty big giants, right? The word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What you hear, truth, mix it with faith. Mix it with trust. Mix it with your whole being. Embrace it. Because there'll be a time where you'll need it. You may not need it when we're sitting in our, sitting all comfortable and relaxed, God wants us to be comfortable, but God doesn't want us to be comfortable with a bad report. God doesn't want us to be comfortable with the same old, same old. God wants us to believe. Believe. You know, in, in Matthew 13, Jesus, this is another part where he shares the parable of the sower and seed. And he's talking to the Pharisees, and it's the, he's talking about the purpose of the parables. And he says, you, you, you hear, but you don't hear. You see, but you don't see. And so it's not a physical problem, obviously, that Jesus is pointing out. It's a spiritual problem. He says, your hearts have grown dull. Another Version or translation says, 
your hearts have grown calloused. Well, I love rock climbing, and what you need for good rock climbing is you need some calloused hands. And those calloused hands don't happen overnight. You got to work at it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's putting your hand to something. It's just as life goes and you're putting your hand to this rock, you, you get these callous on your hands. The same thing with our hearts. Your hearts don't grow callous. Our hearts don't grow callous overnight. Day after day after day after day. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. What they, the callous that happened on the hearth. Jesus was preaching the word and it, and it profited them nothing. Could you imagine sitting before Jesus and him preaching and it's going in one ear and out the other, profiting you nothing? I don't want to be that man. And it's just different areas of our hearts that get callous from disappointments through hurts, through pains. But I want to encourage you, soften your heart. The only way you can soften your heart is by the love of God. The only way. That's why we have such a beautiful, a beautiful gospel, a beautiful covenant, a beautiful relationship with God that is rooted and grounded. Everything about it is fueled by love. You know what Galatians 5, 6 says? Faith works through love. I love that. You want to walk in faith. You want to trust. It's got to be fueled by love. And when it's fueled by love, instead of complaining, you're glorifying. You're magnifying. You're esteeming him of great honor, of great value. You're esteeming him. You're magnifying him. When we magnify something, it doesn't actually make it bigger. It just makes it bigger to who? To us. And when we get fueled by that love and our hearts are softened, then we're able to see ourselves the way that God sees us. The way I like to look at it is I'm looking into the reflection of God's eyes. And that reflection that I see in his eyes, that's what I truly look like. That's a beautiful thing. It'll change your life. It really will. I want to go to one last verse. This is Numbers 14, 24. It says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit. But my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit. That's the spirit we ought to have. That's what we ought to, when God speaks of us as of Mike, of a different spirit who trusted fully. It's ours. It's ours for the taking. You can trust right now. Just take a moment right now. 
what would your life look like with taking the limits off? What would it look like? The children of Israel, they didn't have to wait 40 years. Neither do we. We don't have to wait. God, over and over and over again, said, I'm with you. I'm for you. I will fight your battles. It's really, when we boil it all down, it's just surrender. I know the moment my life changed was when I surrendered. I was, I was a kid stuck in five years of addiction, no purpose, nothing to live for, nothing. And in a moment, I said, God, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I need your help. You know, the more and more that you grow in the relationship with the Lord, the more and more you realize each and every day you wake up on your knees, God, I need your help. No matter what the day is before us, we need his help every single day. That surrender, that is what softens our heart. It's true humility is surrendering to him, laying our battles before him. And God will do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask or think. It's not yours to do. All it is is for us to trust, to let him love us. And we say it all the time here, you'll follow God more accidentally than you ever meant to on purpose. It's not that hard. And you will have people that come against you and naysayers. You know, after Caleb and Joshua gave this report, if you read on, it said they wanted to stone them. Wanted to stone them for giving. God said, we're able. Let's go take it. Let's go possess it. And so I'm, I'm not saying you won't have, we won't have opposition, of course. But God promises us the victory. God promises us that we will overcome. Nothing that we do shall be impossible. Like I said, it don't have to be this grand, grand thing. Start with the one in front of you. Start with yourself in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and begin to see yourself for how God sees you. You know? You have these insecurities, you just start. You start declaring, you start declaring what God says about you. You know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror. I'm a mighty man of God. I'm a mighty woman of God. You know, when I first had my life changed, people told me that all the time. And I was just come out of addiction of five years, and, you know, I was still a work in progress. And people would always come up to me and they say, you're a mighty man of God, Courtney. I'm like, 
Me? You know, there are people that see things in you that you don't see in yourself. Really, each one of you, each and every one of us, there are things in you that are beautiful and wonderful. God, don't make no junk. (laughs) You're a masterpiece created for good works, created for awesomeness. You know? You know, Andrew Walmack, I think I have two more minutes. <laughs> Andrew, Mom, Andrew Walmack says, you know, if you don't stir yourself up, you'll settle to the bottom. Stir yourself up. I don't care how hard it takes to stir yourself up. Get stirred up. Get some momentum in your life. Because if you can gain a speed of a thousand miles per hour, you can't take a U turn. <laughs> Move. Do whatever it takes to get yourself excited, passionate about life. This gospel is meant to be a passionate thing, something that we are passionate about. That we, you don't have to be a minister up here, you are a minister. You're a king and a priest, as we've been hearing. Every single one of us. You know what? You'll win more people to Christ by your life being on fire and on passion for God than anything that you would ever say or do. It's true. You know, I have a friend who does not believe, yet when he sees me going through, he was with me when I was rock climbing, he sees me in this situation. I have the peace of God. I have an outlook that says, this is okay. God's going to pull all things back together. Amen. He don't understand that. But if we can show the people in our lives who are closest to us, listen, I believe this, even to the point to where The doctors are telling me I need surgery and I need to do this and I need to do that or are you never going to walk again? We need a plan A. No plan B. No plan C. Plan A. That is God, Jesus. He is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Amen. All right. So, God, we just thank you. God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives. God, we just thank you for opening our hearts, expanding the areas of our heart where we need, we just want to trust you. We want to take the limits off. We want to stop setting markers, God. God, we surrender. God, right now, whatever it is in our lives, Whatever that thing that is holding us back, God, we just surrender that to you right now. God, we surrender to you as the Lord of our life. God, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. We give you our lives, not just a one-time thing, not just a one-time offering, but a living sacrifice each and every day, God. We lay our lives before you. 
we lay our hearts before you. Because God, we want to experience more. No matter where we are, even if we're feeling really good, like we've accomplished a lot, you know what? God is saying, there is more. There is more. God, we just thank you with your grace that empowers us to do that. And not that we would feel like we're not enough. Not to feel like we're not doing enough. It ain't about that. It's about you. About us being fully engulfed in that love and that relationship that the Father offers us. And just expressing that in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. God, we thank you for that. And if you've never, if you're watching online or you're here, you never said yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Where you're giving him your life, saying, God, here it is. I can't do it on my own. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm tired of fighting. I want to make you the Lord of my life. Is there anyone here that would like to make that decision? If you're online, it's simply that's you online. You want to make that decision today. You just say, Lord, Jesus, Thank you for dying for me, laying your life down, down for me. Thank you for giving me your righteousness, apart from my own, so that I could be saved and free from me. Thank you that I can be free from me. I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come live inside of me and dwell inside of me and empower me to live in a way that is beyond my own ability. I thank you, Jesus, for that. And if you said that, right now, you have been, you're called a child of God. Saved forever, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love y'all. Thank y'all.